0: Yes, full power on the podcast.
1: (laughs) Pulp Fiction may not be presented in the correct order, but this podcast is. So following last week's part one is, shockingly, part two of our Pulp Fiction breakdown by that song from that movie. Focus, focus. Focus? Time to focus. Oh, time to focus. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey Through the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. Much like last week, this is your explicit warning for this episode. Explicit warning. Host Dietrich and his girlfriend is a vegetarian, which pretty much makes him a vegetarian, Alex. <laughs> That's the truest it's statement so- <laughs> you've ever said. On the as soon as I was watching the film, <laughs> I heard that. I was like, I'm going to have to use it for Alex. I've got no choice. Yep.
2: <laughs> I, had, I had two burgers for dinner last night, Alex. Two? Yeah, we need to eat. That's scandalous. Yes, my wife had none.
0: I had a double Big Mac. <laughs> was it a quarter pounder with cheese? Mm. It was It was
1: just a pounder. It was, it was four quarter pounders. <laughs> it was a half. <laughs> they call it Royale with cheese. And we're also joined, as always, by the foot-fucking master, Ben.
2: Uh, I did win a dance competition when I was nine.
1: Why don't you show some of those moves right now?
2: <laughs> All I did was cross my like feet multiple times, uh, and I won a piggy bank at a caravan park in Cornwall.
1: We talk about caravans a lot on this podcast, don't we?
2: It shows the, the <laughs> play of the world we're from, or the class we're from. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So uh, welcome to part two of our look at the songs of Pulp Fiction. Normally, yeah. this is the point where we jump straight back into the songs, but I told the guys in the break whilst we were recording that I want to talk about my connection to this movie. So here goes. I used to work for a little company called Direct Line Insurance. <laughs> I worked in the call centre and I decided to run, a couple of years ago, a long advertising campaign
0: uh, with guess.
1: Winston Wolfe, <laughs> yeah. Avi Keitel's character from this film, where he would fix people's insurance policies with very vague, unremarkable references to the movie, like the lots of cream, lots of sugar bit that nobody remembers. So there's two things that happened during this I thought was interesting to bring up. One, we were shown this advert before it was sent out to be on TV around the well, not around the world, around the UK. It confused so many of my colleagues who had never seen the movie. And then it also sparked like an hour-long debate about whether or not the source material is too adult for an insurance advert campaign. <laughs> I, I was fine with it, but uh, the logic that other people are saying, mostly parents, so Alex, you can chime in here. Okay. The logic was that adults buy insurance, so you should aim it at them, but the adverts are on TV, so they should be family-friendly. Where do you fall?
0: I feel like the adverts from memory are family-friendly enough. They don't have to understand the reference, do they? I feel like it's fine.
1: Yeah, I I, I thought it was fine as well. It, I mean, it always sort of confused me when I see adverts for, like, for Sky Broadband, and they use... Like the minions to advertise it? Yeah, that's weirder, I think. Why? why, why kids don't pay for broadband. <laughs> <laughs> Do they? Nope. Uh, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> I can categorically
0: say I have not received any money from my child towards broadband. <laughs>
2: towards broadband. <laughs> <laughs> he he <laughs> <chose> to clarify. <laughs> but
1: you have received money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the second thing is, on the day of the launch of these adverts, Direct Line hired, and uh, I'm, I'm using this in the loosest way possible, Harvey Keitel impersonators <laughs> to walk around the call centre and interact with everybody, handing out Winston Wolf themed <laughs> gifts, which were just I fix things on like a stress ball. <laughs> um <laughs> what a waste of money! So you had all these people walking around in like... A, Did in any of them
2: actually look like Harvey Keitel? <laughs> were they just like...
1: No, not not a single one looked like <laughs> Harvey Keitel, to the point where people were asking, what's happening? <laughs> Who are men in, in, in tuxes? So the person that came over to me and spoke to me, because every single person was interacted, like they went around the the entire floor of like 400 people, he looked like David Schwimmer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've often said they look alike.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. They don't. And all he said to me, he he shook my hand, gave me a stress ball and went, I'm Winston Wolfe and I fix things. Then he sort of winked at me and walked off.
2: (laughs) Five years later, they're married.
1: It was an awkward experience. And if you were the person that was I was talking to on the phone whilst it happened, I'm very sorry because the conversation I was having with you made no sense. I just halfway through went, huh? Whilst you were talking. I'm, I apologize. It
2: just seems so counterintuitive to sort of like performance metrics.
1: Yeah. they got this extremely busy call center. So let's hire a bunch of impersonators to interact with everybody whilst they're talking to customers. One of many things that Daryline did that I was confused about. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, that's my connection to Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. Gosh. Thank you very
2: much, I think, Dee. I think. (laughs) My chest is hurting and I can't tell if they're related. (laughs) Oh, right. Back to the music. You know it. And we're starting off with an absolute jam. So we are moving on fairly quickly to a quintessential big song in Dusty Springfield's Son of a Preacher Man. For those unaware, the track plays as John Travolta's Vincent Vega character speaks to the coke snorting Mia Wallace as she watches him through a camera and communicates through an intercom. Before I give you the Tarantino's thoughts on this song, what are your views on this song, much more importantly?
0: Well, I think the first thing to mention is obviously the meme. The Vincent <laughs> yeah, Vega. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's the, that's laughs> in the scene. The meme. <laughs> it's the scene with the meme. Uh, so let's get that out there. I think mean, it's a cool scene, I guess. It's, I like the idea. The Her the, like, lips against the microphone, is. I feel like, is, is a scene that i've seen in other films like of like people on the radio it reminds me of things like um it's very weird the warriors <laughs> if you guys have seen the warriors it's odd isn't it like why is she watching him to the the camera <laughs> it's, it's it's an unusual thing i like it but it also kind of makes her a bit of a provocateur kind of character immediately as well you know in line with the song and like what's what's happening in in uh the the, what the song is talking about like saying that maybe she might be a bit mischievous or that she might uh be susceptible to kind of like breaking away from her daddy in this case being marcellus love daddy um so i think i'm guessing that that's kind of what the vibe is in the scene very cool i mean it's it's one of the the, the more iconic uh, scenes of the film i think certainly when he shows up in the in the house and you just hear her voice over the top it's a cool pad as well yeah <laughs>
1: Nice digs. Nice digs. Yeah, it's a a great song. And it's it's just a great use of that song in this movie. It just adds the perfect little bit of extra intrigue and like sexiness to Uma Thurman's character going forward. Definitely. Also the meme. Also the the meme.
2: (laughs) You just have to keep saying also the meme.
1: If anyone doesn't know which meme we're on about, we're on about when (laughs) John Travolta (laughs) is looking around thinking, huh? Where are you?
2: Does it have a name?
1: I'll see if I can find the name of that meme.
2: But yes, Tarantino said in 1994... I've had that scene in my head for six or seven years. and it Confused was... Travolta. Confused Travolta. Okay. Thank you very much, Dave. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had it in my head for six or seven years, and it was always scored to Son of a Preacher Man. He said he would not have used this scene if he could not have that song. I guess testifying to just how much pre-thought he goes into. Um, I don't know how long he held this... I this film in his mind, or if it was just this one standout scene of a woman watching someone through uh, CCTV cameras. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's a it's a huge famous song, and I think Alex says that there's a lot of reasoning behind the I think the lyrics and the purpose of the song related to the characters. A little fact about the song: it was originally offered to who do you think? The scene. The song, sorry.
1: Oh, the song. song. Nancy Sinatra.
0: It was a good shout, out though. No, it wasn't.
2: Nancy Sinatra. No. Um
0: ooh.
2: Big singer of the time. Someone I often thought sang this song before I learned about Dusty Springfield.
1: Shirley Bassey. Aretha Franklin.
2: Aretha Franklin. Hey! Uh, yes, but it was turned down for the British-born singer. Now, we talked about sampling earlier. What's the famous sample for this song?
1: Is it Madonna again? It's
2: not Madonna again, no. It's Cypress Hills hits from a bong. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Drugs related, drugs. Moving on to the next song, which is another surf rock instrumental. Bullwinkle Part 2 by the Centurions, another fantastic... Gosh, surf rock just had the greatest name for bands and uh, songs. Uh, this is just a place setter, again, with a very out-of-place sax solo. Can't say sax solos were quintessential for the uh, surf rock era, but here we go. The track accompanies the stomach-knotting scene in Pulp Fiction as the camera focuses on the blood pouring into a syringe as John Travolta shoots up. I always think of films that have tried to, I guess, emulate the reaction for someone taking drugs. I always think of uh, *Requiem for a Dream*. Mm. Also, scenes I think not related to drugs, but like I think there's like *Simpsons* when they t- eat like sugar and their eye, their pupils just dilate. Yeah, and um, you know f- uh, things like that. But I don't know; it doesn't seem romanticized that much in *Pulp Fiction* for me. It's one of the ones that you've not talked about.
1: Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'll just I'll keep talking then. Tarantino said in 1994 again that he emphasised that this song, Bullwinkle Part 2, was score music, as opposed to something Travolta's character would be listening to on the radio. And he said, the reason I did that was because I always really dug surf music a lot. <laughs> but, the th- <laughs> but the thing was, I never understood what the hell it had to do with surfing. I don't see the connection <laughs> between this music and surfing. To me, it sounded like rock and roll spaghetti Western music. Oh, hey, yeah, we've right, said this before. Yeah. What I don't want to do is, and I see it happen in a lot of movies, is just turn up the soundtrack to create a false energy. And I think we've kind of referenced this in our first part, that the music is quintessential and interwoven to the scenes, but it's not like it's over the top. It's not like uh, often where it's kind of, a link between scenes, which I think is what often what music is used, or like a, as a scene setter, it's kind of playing in the background or behind dialogue points. Uh, it's, like you say, not false energy, which I think is a quite an interesting way to think about music, especially the modern era of how music is used either as a cash system to tie in with a famous artist or just, yeah, through accolades. Now, some may argue that the next song is one of the most famous songs, potentially the most famous song, and it is You Never Can Tell by Chuck Berry. So this is the very famous scene in which uh, Vincent and Mia are dancing at Jack Rabbit Slim's Twist Contest. Now, what do you guys think of this song, the scene?
1: I don't know about you two, but for me, every time I hear this song, it's not until the chorus that I go, oh, it's the song from Pulp Fiction where they're dancing. (laughs) Until the chorus, I think, Oh, it's the song that's always in Frankie and Benny's. The
0: <laughs> song from Frankie and Benny's. Oh, yeah, the Frankie and Benny's song. Yeah.
2: Is that a thing? No, I'd have no idea. <laughs> God, are you, the fact uh, how you said it then as well made me think I was missing it. I associated Frankie and Benny's with just Italian translations in the bathroom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to the scene, I guess. I love the dancing. It's just the perfect mix of stupid and stylish to keep it grounded. I also like to think that During takes Tarantino had to get up on that stage and show Uma Thurman and John Travolta what he wanted them to do. So I just imagine sort of like this small rat like human trying to do dance moves in complete silence whilst the rest of the crew watch. I, I
2: thought you were just going to say, he goes on and says, no shoes, no
1: shoes, no
2: shoes on my set.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Uma Thurman is not wearing shoes, is she? Oh, they're both not wearing shoes, yeah. <laughs> they're yeah, both not course. wearing shoes at all. John Travolta so. starts taking us, no, not you, not you. You leave your socks on. The man
2: loves feet. <laughs> the man
1: loves feet. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, you had the scene from Kill Bill. I'm remembering.
2: Oh, yeah, and I, I rewatched Kill Bill last night, actually.
1: The foot scene in uh, the most recent one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
2: Oh yeah, on the dashboard. On the
1: dashboard, yeah, man,
2: those it. feet. It's almost, it's almost like it, it just makes me laugh now when I see it. Underage feet. <laughs> it's funny Which about- is interesting i to no. oh, say go on,
0: Alex. You're gone. No, I'm oh, sorry. I mean, if you were going to talk more about feet, that's not where I was going. I... <laughs>
2: no, it wasn't. I was going to say what Dee sa-
0: said was interesting <laughs> about the, him teaching them dance moves because I was wondering whether they were just completely improvised. It feels like when you're watching it, like it's not choreographed
1: to me. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Yeah, to be I, 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 I just get the impression that he did do that. Not I don't have any. Uh... He probably did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, John Travolta
2: has a heavy dancing background, oh, yeah. so. You, we are to assume that he can swing
1: name one film
2: <laughs> uh grease 2. Uh, Oh damn he <laughs> wasn't yeah, for he was knowing <laughs> grease two <laughs> what i was going to play on from what d said is the underage thing because there are a lot of weird age related songs picked out in this film so this song famously chuck berry wrote this along with a song no particular place to go while doing time in Missouri's federal medical center prison for breaking the MAN Act. Anyone know what the MAN Act is?
0: No, but I I think Chuck Berry was a bit of a drug addict. <laughs> oh, it he was. Or...
2: It was many other things as well, Alex, because the MAN Act is uh, when you break the rules about uh, transferring minors across state lines because he allegedly oh, brought a 14-year-old girl over state lines <laughs> to have sex with, um, which is also... A bit unusual that while serving time in prison, he wrote a song about two uh, young individuals uh, fleeing to get married, which is what this song is about—the young Pierre and Mademoiselle. And there's just a w- lot of weird sort of young age songs in this. Um, the next song we're going on kind of has some sort of ties to that. Yeah. <laughs> Christ. And yeah, I guess Son of a Preacher Man is very about ba- is about someone. I guess you know that sort of rebellious young age, sort of finding love. Uh, I just find them very weird. It's not something I I think... Tarantino has a lot of weird things about him, Um, so I don't want to go down that route too much, but I just find it sometimes a bit creepy. But A lot of the directors, you think it's just coincidence with him. It just It's just, I find it weird. Because he's
0: so <laughs> meticulous about things he chooses. As well. He is, you that's the thing. You yeah. feel like there's probably something in that. <laughs> probably something
2: there, yes. And he said he went with this song because it gave a uniquely 50s French New Wave dance sequence feel. Now, I don't know how familiar you guys are with French New Wave, but I will be incredibly pretentious and say that I am. <laughs> there's a weird dance scene in a film called uh, Bande part, which I think is the production company. At the start, in the credits, it says it. And it's a um, a Goddard French film, quite famous, and they're kind of dancing. And it does have a weird similarity to it. And I guess it's, again, he's taking these inspirations, 60s, 70s, 50s, that he he does know how to get a feel of a time. And just like you say, uh, collage it into whatever he wants to make sense.
1: This one's for you. Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the US Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send and you'll get exclusive discounts on postage from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop-off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shopping. With Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk, and with the promo code POD, you'll get a special offer that includes four-week free trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in POD. That's stamps.com. Promo code POD, stamps.com. Never go back to the post office again.
2: The next song is a great song, in my opinion. It's
1: Urge Overkill's Girl,
2: You'll Be a Woman Soon. This plays over while Uman Thurman's character Mia Wallace dances while John Trafalter psychs himself up to take her on Not A Date, uh, just before her accidental overdose. Now, what do you guys think of this one? Again, this is a Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. I find, what's the meticulous part of this? Why this song?
0: <laughs> I mean, again, all, all I can assume is that it's kind of a reference to... Because as well, like, at the time Vincent is in the bathroom, isn't he, trying to psych himself up to leave so that he doesn't end yeah. up fooling around, but it's kind of like to her, like, it's, there's this sense that they might be about to get it on. <laughs> and so, like, obviously that, like, idea of her uh, becoming a woman... I mean, I, I, mean <laughs> I don't know what the implication is about her... A previous sexual exploits, but um, I would have You would see many. You would well, yeah. But I think obviously the idea that the, these two had a real connection, so that maybe that there'll be more in it. But then I think obviously it's also a bit tongue in cheek in the sense that she's about to have this huge drug overdose and possibly die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the experience that was expected is completely subverted, and so the song kind of like nicely peps you up for something, but then it. Twists it into something you weren't expecting, so like it really plays with your expectations of of
1: what of what's yeah, really. coming. So I think it really works, and it's it's a good it's like a, a good scene as well.
2: Yeah, very good scene.
1: What I think the song also does is it going off the the previous song. You never can tell. I think it really helps show the passage of time. It's a very similar vibe, but it's got a sort of slower pace. So it sort of almost feels like well, I know it's not, but the, the night is slowing down, hmm. but the dancing is continuing between them. Yeah, obviously it's not about to slow down. It's about to get even more hectic. <laughs> yeah. Very much so.
2: Yeah, i f- I find it. I find it quite similar to in Inglorious Bastards when he plays David Bowie's. Is it putting the fire, putting out the fire, gasoline? Um, when the French character is getting ready, I think it. It has that. I don't know. if it, It's kind of a similar voice, but it's like something's about to happen. It's like on the precipice yeah. of something. Um, and I guess that girl, you'll be a woman soon. Yes, something's about to happen. Um, I'm not familiar with heroin. Is it because she snorts it? Is that why it goes wrong?
0: She thinks it's cocaine? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> bit, I just accept yeah. that it went wrong. I just thought maybe <laughs> there was something in it or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Uh, Tarantino said that he tested out a few other songs for this scene. He wasn't set on it. But then when he found Girl, You'll Be A Woman Soon, he said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the song Mia has to dance to. He said he played it to Uma and Uma flipped. I'm assuming flipped meant excited and no, just like, No! <laughs> and like, just turns over a table. What I didn't know is apparently this is a cover of a Neil Diamond song, uh, the 1967 single Girl You'll Be a Woman Soon. Tarantino said this version was just much better and it had a profound effect on him. Don't know what that means. Apparently, Neil Diamond said, I watched Pulp Fiction about half a dozen times before I could figure it out. He didn't realise that his song was in the film. <laughs> because <laughs> he'd licensed it to Urge Overkill, but he said now that um, because the song made it to number 59 on the Hot 100 of that year. His version? The Urge Overkill's version. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, and number 11 on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart, and he said it really proves you can't keep a good record down.
0: <laughs> oh, Neil.
2: And probably gets a lot of money from this because, you know, it obviously did quite a lot, uh, quite well. Um, but I find it quite funny. The next song we are talking about is Maria McKees, if love is a red dress, in brackets, hang me in rags. Always respect the brackets. Uh, this one plays dreamily whistling in the background when we have Bruce Willis uh, and Ving Rhames' pawn shop tussle. So, yeah, what do you guys think?
1: Well, I'm glad you said that because this was a song where I just couldn't tell where it was in the movie. Again, same. Is this song used on the Confused.com adverts? Uh, yeah. All <laughs> uh, right, right, so what is it with this with, with this movie and insurance companies? <laughs> they clean up one car, and apparently that's enough to warrant all insurance companies using it.
2: It's something, until I played it back, it was it just, all, all I associate now with this song, or at least that three sort of strums, is Confused.com. I can't think of anything else now. Unfortunately, that has no place in Pulp Fiction anymore in my mind. It just has that guy's voice <laughs> <and> <laughs> Confused.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't being stupid when I thought that. When I listened to it on YouTube, but yeah, this song could have been anywhere in the movie. I couldn't have told you if you hadn't told me first.
0: I had a similar experience. I was trying to locate the scenes of the songs and this one just, I couldn't find it. I listened to the song. It was a a nice song.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not, it's not, it's not a great one. Tarantino said that um, if you, when you take a song and put them in a sequence in a movie, right, it's about a cinematic a thing as you can do. Don't even know what that means. Let's take um, his word for does it. Does that mean that we deserve to give praise to the Confused.com guys? Because it bloody works in that advert. <laughs> yes. um, he also said that he was a big Maria McKee fan, aren't we all?
1: Sure, sure. Yep. Yeah. I've, got <laughs> I've got McKee. I've
2: got McKee. I've
1: got Marie <laughs> No. Don't, don't worry, don't
2: worry. Um, he also said, you're really doing what movies do better than any other art form. Well, not really, because adverts. When you hit it right... The effect is you can never really hear that song again without thinking about that image from the movie. Mm, sorry. Sorry, Quentin. Sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you,
2: yeah, you really, uh, you've been done.
1: Plot twist. He directed those adverts.
2: <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> In his downtime, writing spaghetti Western books and also directing insurance ads. You Didn't have any Tarantino look likes uh, with Hawaiian sort of shirts <laughs> roaming through your office, did you, do?
1: No no, 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 nobody uh, telling me how to dance.
2: It probably would have been it probably would have been sent out either asking for pics of your feet or saying words he shouldn't say, which is not really a song in this film. But I just I always find that weird. Like, why do you write yourself in into a, into a film? Yeah, It's your film. Write yourself in, sure. But you write it in with the most expletives. You're giving fuel to the argument of why you shouldn't. <laughs> anyway, the next song, The Revels, Comanche, Comanche, Is it Comanche, Comanche.
0: Not got this one on my list. So no idea. Not on my list.
2: Okay. The Revels, Comanche. This plays in the scene in which Marcellus Wallace is sexually assaulted by a pawn shop owner and a security guard. <laughs> Don't really remember that scene. Doesn't quite stick in my memory. <laughs> from... Of course it does. It's ingrained into my bleeding retinas.
1: Oh, is this the sax solo?
2: Uh, Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, parts. Right. Okay. Um, apparently not Quentin Tarantino's first choice. You know, what? his first choice was to be played over the sexually assaulted Marcellus Wallace. Careless Whisper. No, better.
0: Just because you mentioned sex, I think.
2: <laughs> my Sharona by the knack. Oh
1: God.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Apparently, because he thinks My Sharona has a really good sodomy beat to it, because that's a thing Whoa. I often think about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say that it was a musical footnote. <laughs> <laughs> How? What a weird line to say. My Sharona has a real good sodomy beat to it. Good and sodomy should be two words that are never next to each other.
1: Well, Ben Dunk King (laughs) Shame.
2: If you think about it, he said in nineteen ninety four, I could set the time by that. And it just seems so funny to me.
0: (laughs) I enjoy that he's commented on every song that's featured in this film. I feel like a lot of the times when we do the larger soundtracks it's hard to find Oh yeah. Sad no, yeah, Where he's like, yeah, Well he's the buddy. reason I picked this song. It's because of it this." <laughs> There's one thing Karina Ta- Karina, 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 I don't even know why he's in that
2: guy. Abdul what was There's one <laughs> thing you can say about Quentin Tarantino and he loves to talk. And point two, he loves to talk about his films, especially if someone's praising him. Uh apparently um he approached a member of the knack but one of the band members had become a born again Christian uh and didn't want his song to be over a scene of sexual assault. That's fair. But in in hindsight, apparently, Tarantino said he was fine with that, uh, because he thinks maybe it would have been too comical. Yeah. Yeah, you don't really want your audience laughing at that, do you? (laughs) I think there's tongue-in-cheek, and you can see it as just a weird situation, because the whole thing with the gimp is just bizarre. You could not see it coming. But yeah, my Sharona might have been the straw that broke uh, Marcellus Wallace's back. Anyway, I um,
1: packed a lot of jokes into that Ben well done
2: <laughs> that was literally <laughs> off the cuff I didn't even write that down <laughs> two more songs gentlemen and listeners we're moving on to the Starler brothers with their song
0: Flowers on the Wall do you remember when this one was? Uh, it was it's the scene where just before where Bruce Willis runs over Marcel he puts someone on in the car and he sings along he? Yeah, he's singing along <laughs> uh,
2: what do you think? I like this scene because I, I don't think there's many examples in history in which you kill off a main character in such a um well not, it's no blaze of glory. There's no pride in it. Isn't he in the John? Oh, John Travola. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in the toilet. John. He's the, he is in, he's the, in the, John. the John. In brackets, Travola. Yeah, I, I love when that
0: happens in a film. It just yeah, it subverts everything. Yeah, but then they bring him back to life for the final scene. Ben. well, yeah, triumphantly. But yeah, it's a good. It's a really uh, good scene, uh, especially. <laughs> the, but this one more than any reminds me of the twenty two short stories about Springfield just because of the the actual <laughs> shot of him looking out the car window and seeing Marcellus walk across the street with the donuts.
1: Donuts. <laughs> I love donuts.
0: It's but they just they, they frame it in Simpsons exactly the same way and it's uh like I couldn't not see Chief Wigan walking across the street. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh yeah it's it's one again one of the more like iconic moments of the film I think where he just sees him walking across <laughs> it's just the co- the coincidental nature of it all. It's just hilarious. And then obviously what ensues after or yeah. it?
1: well, before. It's difficult to remember which order the film is <laughs> in. <laughs> in terms of the actual song itself and how Bruce Willis is singing it, what I don't understand is I don't think I've ever heard this song on TV or radio or anywhere outside of this movie. So I don't think Bruce Willis's character should know this song enough to sing along to it. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I can, I can kind of see where you're going. And it's interesting you say that because this is one of the very, very few songs that wasn't an idea by Tarantino. It comes from his music supervisor, Karen Rackman. And he said uh, she just gave me different tapes and for every five new songs, she put an old song in there. And I mentioned it to Bruce, assuming Bruce Willis, and he was like, oh, God, I love it. (laughs) Can't imagine Bruce Willis ever saying, oh, God, I love it. Uh, He might have said yippee A," but, you know, who knows. Our final song of this epic run through the music of Pulp Fiction is the lively ones song, "Surf Rider," and it's plays over the end credits as John Travolta and Samuel Jackson walk out of the diner. The, I I knew of this song quite a lot following *Pulp Fiction*. I think my dad had it on a CD or something, uh, and it had a, an incredibly popular run after the use of the film. But what do you think?
1: It's just the perfect riding off into the sunset song for this movie, really. Yeah, it's like I saw a sort re- of reference there, like an old western walking away from a saloon. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of a movie, it just, capt- it just captures the spirit of the entire movie without any words being uttered and uh yeah it's just the perfect song to end this movie with
0: yeah agree and i think like everything about that end take of them walking out of the 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 is it the big kahuna bar that's what it's called isn't it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah with the t-shirts and the shorts and the putting the, the huge magnums into the shorts <laughs> the whole thing is just completely ridiculous but by the time you've made it that far it makes sense (laughs) and i think like it's the perfect encapsulation of everything you kind of just watched where you're like what did i just watch but also yeah i also get it (laughs) and i think like yeah that moment there and then that music starts to play and it just finishes it's just like okay but it's also kind of even though it's like a really like sort of epic kind of ending it does also just like slowly go into the credits it's kind of weird it's sort of like it's not like the opening credits where it like gunshots into it it's sort of like yeah this is obviously, obviously the natural ending, <laughs> even though it's also the beginning. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. But I think, yeah, it's it's just sums up everything that the film does well.
1: Yeah, and I like the fact that, and we sort of mentioned it when we talked about Mr. Lu, um, that that's got like an old Western vibe to it. And it basically the two old western sounding songs bookend the movie, mm-hmm. even though they're in the same scene.
2: It's very, well, well done, Quentin. I think mean, that's all we can say from that.
1: Okay, so now it's time to find out what we think is the best song from Reservoir Dogs. There's a lot to choose from, so uh, good luck with this. Uh, Alex, you can go first. Ooh, um, let me have
0: a think. Ooh, it's difficult. To, it's really hard, this one, because I think like the obvious choice is Mizzouli at the beginning because it's just the impact it has. And I think it's the one that you think that's the, that's the Pulp Fiction song. I do really love the dance scene in the middle with uh, Ghost. You Never Can Tell. I think, for me, that's the iconic scene of the film. Like you said, deal with the actual song itself, I think sometimes if someone were to ask me what's the song in that scene, I might forget what it is still. Even though, like, if I hear the chorus, like you said, I would know it, that's where it's from. I think sometimes it took yeah. me a long time to get to that place where I knew what the song was, because I feel like I was always trying to sing, like, Little Green Show. Bag, you know, from, from Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> like, that was like, hey, it's that one. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not. That's the one from Reservoir Dogs. So, even though I think that, that scene is the scene of the film, I think um, the the sort of film stealer. I think the song itself might be a bit forgettable. And then when I was watching the film, the song that I really found interesting in the scene was the girl, you'll be a woman soon scene, weirdly. Yeah. so And, and also Son sort of a Preacher Man. I think those two scenes. But I think that that part of the film, the Mia Vincent story, is by far the strongest for me, it's the most interesting yeah. anyway, and it's when you're watching, it, it's the most like gripping. So I think that those three scenes in the middle really work well together. So
2: what you're saying is that like you haven't got a clue.
0: I haven't got a clue, yeah, but I guess that's the point. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> I feel it feels like you can't possibly choose one <laughs> about perfect. <Pulp Fiction. laughs> but if I had, if you had to press me, I'd probably choose Miseraloo just because it's the song from the film.
2: Uh, yeah, I think it's the coincidental song. It's the one that you remember. I agree. I think I agree with Alex. He kind of said every song. Jova uh, uh, Kills, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, I think is probably the best song. Like, my favourite song from the film. So it's one of those two. It's a toss-up between those for me.
1: Yeah, it's sort of the going back to the Swiss Army Man problem of that scene with that song from that movie. <laughs> Terrible name for a podcast. Um, so if you just take the song on its own, I think I'd have to go Miss Alou, but you could easily change that to Egan and Tell" our Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, and... It's, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, I'll be intrigued to see what people pick yeah. for this one. And I don't know how I'm going to split this up on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Might just have to drop some. No one's picking Lonesome Town, are they? We'll see. Right, so that brings us into another episode of That Song From That Movie. Let us know which one you think is better on Twitter. By the time you have listened to this, we'll be on to the finals. So you already missed the semifinals if you haven't listened to last week's. Probably should have mentioned it in the outro to last week's episode. Oh, well. You can let us know on Twitter. Alex, what is our Twitter handle? TSFTNboard. Next. Uh, You can help by sharing this. Uh, One of the places you can share it is on Reddit. But what random subreddit should they pick this week, Ben? The Knack. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. And you can help us in other ways, such as buying our merch, signing up to our Patreon, or leaving us a five-star review. All the links for that are on our social media and in the show notes below, or to the side, depending on where you listen to this. All that's left now is to do some goodbye. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Don't you hate that?
0: Uncomfortable <laughs> silences.
1: And goodbye from Ben.
2: That's too uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I've forgotten what I was going to say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. I was convinced you were just going to shout, bring out the (laughs) gift.
2: I was tempted to, but then I also have to think of my professional background sometimes. (laughs) I've got a point. I looked at the lyrics for My Sharona, and there's a line as well in that. Always get it up for the touch of the younger kind. He's still oh, yeah, a, there's yeah, a yeah, weird yeah. thing going on with this film. And it that. definitely is. Yeah,
0: it's just wrong in it.